Good morning. So good to see you. If you don't know, I'm Chris McCurley. I used to preach here. Um, glad that the elders invited me back. Uh, I do want to make a plug for preacher training camp this morning. Sign-ups are over. We've got 14 wonderful young men that are going to be with us uh, starting in two weeks. Uh, we need some help with meals. So these guys eat up at the building for breakfast and lunch. And we've got a couple of spots left. Julie Stanley is our coordinator for meals. If you don't know Julie, uh, we can point you, uh, point you to her and send you in her direction. I said when we started this 12 years ago, Julie, I don't want to deal with food. I want to talk about food. That's all you. And she has done a fantastic job in handling that. So if you'd like to help with a meal, please see her. We're excited about Preacher Training Camp this year. So if I'm honest, the book of Job bothers me a little bit. I don't know if you're the same way. It bothers me that God is having a conversation with the devil. It bothers me that he is devising a plan behind the scenes for Satan to test this blameless and upright servant. And it bothers me that this blameless and upright servant is have, having to suffer so much. If you read through the book of Job sometime, you see that it's an interesting book. It's also a little bit of an odd book. It starts out by highlighting Job's faith, and then you have 35 chapters of great questioning. Now, Job's so-called friends were quick to provide answers to these questions. They basically tell Job, the reason you're suffering is because you've done something wrong. In other words, it's your fault that your kids died. It's your fault that you're suffering with this health malady. Great friends, right? But what we see throughout the book as this plays out is that Job thinks that God got the wrong guy, that if he just had his day in court, he could plead his case, and he would get a reprieve. And so this goes on for like 30 chapters until God steps in and says, all of you just need to be quiet. None of you know what you're talking about. Just close your mouth because you're speaking nonsense. And that's when Job says something rather profound. If you look at chapter 42, starting in verse 2, it says, I know that you can do all things. And that no plan is impossible for you. Who is this who conceals advice without knowledge? Therefore, I have declared that which I do not understand. Things too wonderful for me, which I do not know. Please listen and I will speak. I will ask you and you instruct me. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore, I retract and I repent sitting in dust and ashes. And then I want you to notice in verse 7 how God responds. It came about after the Lord had spoken these words to Job that the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, My wrath is kindled against you and against your two friends because you have not spoken of me what is trustworthy. And my servant Job has. Now therefore, take for yourselves seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and offer up a burnt offering for yourselves. And my servant Job will pray for you, for I will accept him so as not to do with you as your foolishness deserves, because you have not spoken of me what is trustworthy, as my servant Job has. So at the very end of the book, Job basically says, my bad. Like, I, I said things I shouldn't have said. I spoke uh, nonsense. I didn't know really what I was talking about. I am sorry. I repent in dust and ashes. And God says, basically, thank you. Finally, you get it. I appreciate you admitting it. And then God turns to Job's friends, and I use that word loosely. He turns to his friends, and he says, you guys misrepresented me. 
You didn't speak truth about me. Therefore, take these offerings to Job. Job will offer these to me, and then I will forgive you of the silly things you said. And that's another thing that kind of bothers me about the book of Job. God is working behind the scenes. He's doing things in the heavenly realm that the people down on earth are not privy to. And for 38 chapters, these four guys say really dumb things. This is why this is happening. No, this is why this is happening. Job retorts and says, no, this is why it's happening. And and all the while, they're all wrong. All of them are, are being silly in the words that they are speaking. And I think, are we like those four guys? Am I like one of those guys? Now, you guys know, I, I work really hard during the week to plan a lesson that rightly divides the Word of God. I do my due diligence to make sure that the words that I'm preaching are the words of God. But still, I wonder sometimes, and am I speaking foolishness? Is the religious world as a whole, are there some people out there speaking foolishness like these four guys? I think so. I mean, I think there's a lot of people running their mouths about spiritual things who have no clue what they're talking about. And if Eliphaz and Bildad and Zophar were alive today, they'd probably have a podcast. They would probably be speaking to a sellout crowd of millions of people, at least thousands, who would be amening their every word. That's right, you tell them, Bildad, that girl does have a brain tumor because she sinned. That's right, Zophar, you tell them, that retribution thinking, that's spot on. And then you've got other people saying, no, don't listen to them. They don't know what they're talking about. Listen to this Job guy. If you listen to his podcast, he really knows what he's talking about. He enlightens you in a way that you've never really heard before. You've got these podcasts. You've got people sending them money buying their study Bibles, amening their every word, and none of them are speaking the truth. They're all way off, yet people are listening to their stuff. And do you know why? There's something bigger going on upstairs that the people down on earth are not privy to, and part of the reason they're not privy to it is because they haven't done any investigating. They're getting all their information from sources outside the Word of God. Well, what they should be doing is reading Scripture. But is the Bible enough? Is the Bible enough? No. Not for a lot of people. I mean, the Bible's not enough to draw a crowd on its own for a lot of people, right? And so what do we do? We, we change the message to be trendier, to be more inclusive and less restrictive. The crowd goes up, the contribution goes up, the morale goes up, and the spiritual maturity of the members goes down. We fill up on religious content, but not the Word. And we're raising a whole generation that loves Lauren Daigle more than the Word of God. We get our theology from podcasts and blogs and books, but we never consult the Word to see if those words are true words. And don't get me wrong, I love Lauren Daigle, I listen to her on the radio. When I work out, I don't listen to music. I listen to podcasts. I listen to religious podcasts, many of which are very helpful. Nothing wrong with those things, but they're not substitutes. And at the end of the day, if you had none of those, be okay. Because the word of God is enough. Peter said this. He said, for his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. We have everything 
pertaining to life and godliness. So what did God give Joseph Smith? What did he give Muhammad? What did he give some new age preacher that says he's got some new revelation from God? If we have everything that pertains to life and godliness. You don't need a new message. You don't need addendums. You don't need further revelation. What you need is, and I quote, true knowledge of the one who called you by his own glory and excellence. And guess how you get that deeper knowledge? By opening your mind, by opening your ears, by opening your heart, by opening the word of God. You see, the answer is not changing the message. The answer is not changing the culture or the worship service. The answer is changing your heart. What excites you? How can you not get excited about this? What then shall we say to these things? God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring charges against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, but rather was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us, who will separate us from the love of Christ. Will tribulation or trouble or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, just as it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long, we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered, but in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord man if that doesn't make the hair on the back of your neck stand up you'd better check your pulse because I'm not sure you're alive and then notice this now I say this brothers and sisters that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable behold I am telling you a mystery we will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For this perishable must put on the imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. But when this perishable has put on the imperishable, and this mortal puts on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, death has been swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The Word of God is not boring. You may be boring. I might be boring. The Word of God is not boring. Scripture itself is not boring when you connect with the story and you place yourself within the story as God intended for us to do. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and following reads, I solemnly exhort you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, and exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not tolerate sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires, and they will turn their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. But as for you, use self-restraint in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Paul tells Timothy that there's going to come a day in time when people just want to hear what they want to hear and they want you to tell them what they want to hear. And he's talking about 2022, right? 
not exactly, in a more immediate context in mind, but his words here transcend time, right? There are many today who have itching ears, and there are plenty of men and women, perhaps, that are willing to scratch their itch. Let me tell you something. I will never do that. Ever. Not going to happen. Now, you might be frustrated with me because I tell the truth. We may even have a severe drop in attendance for preaching the truth. But I will never ignore the truth in favor of telling someone what they want to hear. Maybe hard to listen to, but I will never let you go to hell because you prefer a lie. Paul's charge to Timothy is a charge to every preacher. Preach the word. Preach it in season, out of season. Preach boldly with conviction. Love people enough to tell them what is right. And love people enough to tell them when they're wrong. I want to be like Amos, who was told by Amaziah to stop speaking and just go away. And listen to what Amos says. I am not a prophet, nor am I the son of a prophet, for I am a herdsman and a grower of sycamore figs. But the Lord took me from following the flock, and the Lord said to me, Go, prophesy to my people Israel. Now hear the word of the Lord. You are saying, You shall not prophesy against Israel, nor shall you speak against the house of Isaac. Therefore, thus says the Lord, Your wife will become a harlot in the city. Your sons and your daughters will fall by the sword. Your land will be parceled up by a measuring line. And you yourself will die upon unclean soil. Moreover, Israel will certainly go from its land into exile. Basically, Amos says, I'm not a prophet. My dad was not a prophet. I don't deserve to be in this position. I was tending sheep one day. God called me out and said, you need to go and speak. And so I went to speak. Amos didn't feel like he was worthy to be in this position. And that's me. I don't feel worthy to be in this position. I I was a coach that was yelling at referees and blowing a whistle one day. And the next day I'm standing in the pulpit. I don't deserve this. But I've got to speak. I've got to do it. Because I feel this is where I'm supposed to be. Amos says, you can tell me to go away. You can tell me to be quiet, but it's not going to happen. By the way, your wife's going to be a prostitute and your kids are going to die. <laughs> it's pretty harsh. But I do like his attitude. It's the attitude that I hope to have. I don't, I don't deserve to be here. But I've got to speak. This is God's truth that I'm speaking. And it must be proclaimed. It must be confronted. Some will inevitably not want to hear it. But that doesn't mean that I have to stop speaking it. That's why I'm here. Because I love God. I love you. I love people. I love his word. And because I love God, because I love his word, and because I love you, I have to speak his truth. Someone must tell people the truth because far too many people in our world are telling lies. Far too many people in the world, even in the religious world, are enabling bad desires through bad theology. They're twisting scripture to fit a narrative that God never bought into. They're making promises that God doesn't intend to keep. And there are way too many folks who would rather believe a lie than to come to terms with the truth. What are we doing here? It's a question that we've been asking in this series. And the reason why we're asking this question is because I want our our current members, our new members, and our potential members to know who we are and what we are about. In coaching, every team needs to have an identity. Oldham Lane has an identity. And we want you to understand that identity and buy into it. We are New Testament Christians seeking to live out God's will, both here and out in the world. What are we doing here? 
It's an identity question. It gets to the core of who we are. What are we doing here? Oftentimes that question is asked with a rather negative slant, right? And what are we doing here? I used to ask that to my team at halftime when we're losing. So I asked it a lot. What are we doing here? Guys, what are we doing here? Well, the answer was we were losing. What are we doing here? It's like the team that I had been coaching and preparing to play this game didn't even show up. Who are you people? What are we doing here? Well, let's ask the question of us. What are we doing here? Well, we're growing, as we talked about in the first lesson of this series. We're going, as we talked about in the second lesson. And this morning, we're teaching. But what are we teaching? Well, we're teaching the Word of God. And how do you know that? How do you know that Chris McCurley is teaching the Word of God? That's on you, not me. I mean, it is. That's on you. And I plead with you to open up God's Word on a regular basis to see if these things are so. Is what Chris McCurley is teaching right? Is it the Word of God? Now, listen to me. You can listen critically or you can listen to be critical. And if you want to listen to be critical, you'll find something that I say wrong or grammatically incorrect. I, I just tell you that right now. Because I'm not flawless in, in my oratory skills. But if I speak something that's untrue, that's a problem. And I need to be called out for that. So does every Bible class teacher, every preacher, right? What is Chris McCurley preaching? Should be the Word of God. And it's on you to rightly divide the Word of God so that you know what is being taught. As your preacher, I'm begging you, please don't take my word for it. Study to show thyself approved. Paul told Timothy, all Scripture is inspired by God and beneficial for teaching, for rebuke, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be fully capable, equipped for every good work. The Word of God is enough. That's the message that Paul gives to Timothy. It's enough. It's all you need. It's enough for doctrine teaching what is right for reproof what's not right for correction how to get right and for training in righteousness how to stay right it is my job to illuminate this teaching and help you to grasp it to make it make sense in some cases to encourage you to live by it preaching isn't just me standing up week after week and giving a book report when my oldest daughter was really small, somebody asked her one time what her dad did for a living. And Keeley said, he stands up every Sunday and he talks and he talks and he talks. <laughs> and some of you would probably heartily agree with that assessment. But instead of thinking me, thinking of me as your preacher who stands up and talks every week, I want you to think of me like this. By the way, I love being your preacher, so I'm not, I'm not trying to, to dispel that. When you say, that's my preacher, I love that. But even more than that, think of me as your partner in discernment. That's what I am. We are partners in discernment. We're in this together. This is not about me spending all my time during the week to put together a report that I give to you on Sunday where I transmit information. This is about transformation. This is about being disciples and growing in the love of Jesus Christ. I'm not the mama bird that chews up the food and then deposits it in your mouth so it's easier to digest. Ideally, what's happening is I'm preaching and you're doing this because you've heard it all before. Ideally, I'm preaching and you're saying amen because this is nothing new to you. Now, if you're a new Christian, it may be, 
but you shouldn't be in shock and awe every time I read Scripture. Really? That's what that says? Yes, that's what that says. Because you should have been studying all along, rightly dividing the Word of God. So I'm preaching, you're nodding. I'm preaching, you're amening. Because we're partners in this. We're in this together. Maybe I can illuminate a passage in a way that you never thought about. I love when you come up to me and say, you really made me think. That's one of the greatest compliments I could receive. You made me think. Maybe I can help you understand a passage that you struggled with. Hopefully so. But at the end of the day, I'm preaching you're nodding. I'm preaching you're amening. So with that in mind, as partners in discernment, here's a few quick suggestions that I would like to make so that we can make this partnership the best that it can be. First of all, come with a settled conviction. Now, I'm not speaking out of both sides of my mouth here. I know you've heard me say over and over again that when you come to a study of God's Word, don't come with your mind already made up. I still believe that. I still hold to that. However, you should come to the Bible with a firm conviction that God is speaking. Because He is. God is speaking. This is God's Word. And you think about the implications of that. If this is God's Word, then that means we believe every word of it. We believe every word of it is authoritative from in the beginning in Genesis 1-1 to amen in Revelation 22-21. And every word in between, this is the authoritative Word of God. And because it's from God, our only response is to bow down to it. Now, if it was from man, then we could stand in judgment of it. But I have found something that God left out of the Bible. It's your opinion. This isn't up for a vote. This is not a consensus thing. The Bible is God's Word. And our character, our identity is found in God's Word. It's molded and shaped by Scripture. Our church's identity is defined by God's Word. So we filter everything through the lens of Scripture, and we come to the Bible with a question. What is God saying? Not what do I want God to say. Too many people ask that question. Best question is, what is God saying? And if I don't agree with what he's saying, or if I'm troubled by what he's saying, I have to assume that I'm wrong. Secondly, learn to use a knife and a fork. We've already touched on this to some degree, but we should all be seeking to be self-feeders. It's my job to feed you. It's the elder's job to make sure that you are fed. And I take great pains every week to make certain that you are fed, that you get the proper nourishment so that you can grow, but I can't force feed you, right? At some point, you have to learn to feed yourselves. And as your chef, I'm trying to put a meal in front of you that will help you to grow and develop and mature, which means that you may not always like what's been prepared. When my three children were very small, my wife didn't make three different meals for them so they'd all be happy. She made one meal. You either ate it or you went hungry. As your preacher, the food that I'm preparing each week, the table that I'm setting for you, is meant to help you to grow and mature. It may not always be pleasant to taste, but I think it's vital. You are responsible, though, for your own spiritual nourishment. At some point, you have to wean yourself off the bottle, but you don't neglect the weekly offering either. I mean, the best kind of food is free food, right? If somebody offers to buy your meal, that's a great thing. Every week at the Old Lane Church of Christ, there is a free buffet. You can come in and you can partake. You can eat. Come hungry. Come with a hearty appetite. Come with a knife and a fork and get ready to eat. But also, 
feed yourself during the week. Also, think like someone in Scripture. You've heard me say this before. All too often we read the Bible for information rather than application. So, think like David. Put yourself in the sandals of Samson or Peter or Moses. Read Scripture by putting yourself in their position. Filter Scripture through their eyes. Weed out their weaknesses. Put yourself in their story. Study their strengths. What can you learn from them? How can their trials and their triumphs make you a better disciple? And then finally, I would say, listen with intent. Don't listen to be critical. Listen critically. God is speaking. Listen to what he's saying. We believe that God still speaks, don't we? Every time we open the word of God, we believe that he speaks. I believe God speaks every time we open his word, and I believe he speaks here every Sunday. Chris McCurley doesn't speak. God speaks through Chris McCurley. It is he that is speaking. I'm the vessel. You're not coming to hear Chris McCurley. You're coming to hear God's word preached through Chris McCurley. There are other men. I readily, I readily admit there are other men who can devise and put together a sermon much better than I can. There are other men that can deliver one much better than I can. But hopefully, hopefully you understand that my mission is to deliver God's word. And hopefully you want to be somewhere. I think you do. You want to be somewhere where God's word is preached. I hope your first priority is to be somewhere where God's word is preached. Jesus often said, he who has ears, let him hear. I'm looking around. I think that's all of us. So let's have open ears and an open heart and listen expectantly. Listen for a plan and listen to respond. I was reading the other day about Shepherd's Home. I don't know if you've ever heard of Shepherd's Home. It's a special place with some very special residents. You see, it's a Christian-based home for children who are orphans and they have developmental disabilities, some severe. And the director of the home says that one of the biggest problems they have is dirty windows. The reason why is because the one main message that they send every day to these special children is there's going to come a day when Jesus is going to come back and take you home and you will be fully restored. You will stand in front of your Lord completely whole. No more disabilities. And so every day, these children stand at the window, pressing their faces and their hands against it, looking for Jesus, hoping that maybe today's the day that he comes back. Do you read the Bible with the end in mind? I hope you do. Spoiler alert, we win. This book should stir something inside of you. It should stamp eternity on your heart and on your eyeballs. It should leave you longing for more. And that more is heaven. So let me leave you with a question this morning. Are your windows dirty? Let's pray. Most kind and gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for who you are and who you're making us out to be. May we strive to be a church family that, that lives by your word, that speaks your word, 
that seeks to to live at the center of your will. May we be Jesus in the world around us. God, thank you for this church family. Thank you for the hope that you provide. Thank you for your son. Maranatha, Lord, come quickly. It's in your son's precious name we pray. Amen. We can help you this morning. Luke is going to lead us in a song. If you have a need, why don't you come as we stand and as we sing.